So I don't know if you like drinking coffee. Uh, for me, uh, I'm not really a big coffee drinker. I, I picked up drinking coffee when I was in college for two reasons. Number one is to survive. All, all those, uh, th- those nights, the all-nighters that I pulled off, right? In order to survive, I needed coffee uh, and to stay awake. The other reason why I got into, into drinking coffee is because, you know, when you're hanging out, when you're, when you're meeting people, a lot of times you would go to a cafe. Now, you could go to other places when you're in college, but, you know, let's try to keep it, like, a little bit, uh, you know, uh, more holy. So you're, you're drinking coffee together, uh, and I noticed that most cafes, they charge hot chocolate, like, $5, like, so expensive. It's just some water and, and chocolate, and it's $5, but, like, a cup of coffee, house coffee, would be about $2. So, like, as a poor college kid, I'm like, okay. There's no way. Like, I, I, I like Starbucks. Those drinks are nice, frappuccinos. Like, but I can't be spending, like, $6, $7 every time I meet someone. So for me, like, the economical decision is even though I hate coffee, I'll start drinking coffee. So I drink coffee to stay awake and to survive and to, to, to meet people. Uh, but there are some people who, who love coffee. Like, if they hear the word coffee, like, they're thinking already about the different beans and, and how, how you roast it and, 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 and the way that you would create the cup of coffee, the acidity, the bitterness, the sweetness, the saltiness, the nuttiness, the smokiness, the herbiness. Like, I don't know all these words. I don't know how you can tell the difference. To me, it just tastes all the same. But for these people, they can taste every layer of, of that, that cup because they love and enjoy coffee. I think prayer is kind of like this. There are some people who pray just to survive. There are just some people who, who pray because they need to. And that, that we don't really enjoy prayer. We don't understand the, the beauty of prayer. And then you have some people who they seem to just get prayer, understand prayer. That they actually like sitting down and spending time with God. Like, it, so a lot of us, like, we, we can't understand, like, what's going on there. Like, but these people, they enjoy Enjoy spending time with God in prayer. And Jesus, he's the ultimate example of someone who loves prayer, who appreciates prayer. And that's probably why in today's passage, the disciples of Jesus, they come up to him and say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because it actually seems like you enjoy prayer. It actually seems like you understand prayer. That when you pray, not only does something happen in your life, something happens around your life, and I want that. So they ask Jesus, teach us how to pray. And what you have is, is this pattern of prayer, this example of prayer. It's not a prayer that you simply recite. It's a, a, it's a prayer that was given to us as an example, as a template to understand the richness, the deepness of, of prayer. And so this passage is so dense. I was thinking, should I just take it line by line each week and just spend time in this passage for the next like two months or so? Uh, but what I want to do today, I want to take it from a different angle. I just want to go through it line by line and and just make some observations, highlight some characteristics of the Lord's Prayer because this is exactly what Jesus wants us to know when it comes to prayer. How do we enjoy prayer and, and pray to God in a way that, that, that's honoring to God? So a couple characteristics of prayer. I encourage you to write this down. Number one is this. The Lord's Prayer is God-exalting. It's God-exalting. It begins with God and Particularly, it exalts God. I get that from verse 2. It says this. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Now, 
we never use that word, hallowed. Uh, for me, I have to look up the dictionary to see what, what's, what's going on. This is old English. Uh, but what it means is this. The word hallowed means to, to make something holy, to, to, to be sanctified, to make something, you know, set apart. And so what we see from the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer is this. Two weeks ago, we talked about the word Father and how in prayer, first and foremost, we walk into this relationship. We remember that as followers of Jesus, that we are speaking to, we are praying to our Heavenly Father. There is that relationship that exists because of the grace of Jesus Christ that we can confidently, boldly, but humbly go before God in this time of prayer. And we pray not just because we want something, we pray because we want to be with someone. Like, hopefully, your earthly parents were great enough that you would want to spend time with them. Like, my deep desire is that my children would want to spend time with me. I mean, there are times when my capacity to understand, to, to, to be patient, like, it, it, it's, it's not good enough. But, I mean, I think the saddest thing that could happen in my life is more ch- for my child to say, I just don't want to be with you. Like, I don't want to spend time with you. You. Like, why would I, why do I want to have dinner with you, right? No, it's, it, it brings it joy to my heart when my child says, Dad, can you do this with me? Like, like and I'll say, let's do it alone. Like, and they would say, like, no, I, I, love, I love to do it with you. I want to do it with you. It's not about just doing this. I, I want to do it with you. That's the idea behind prayer. First of all, that you do it because you love God and you know that you are loved by God that you have a father who is so patient, who is so kind, that you just enjoy spending time with the father because he loves you, that you can trust him with all your heart because he, he, he's looking out for you, that he, has, he, he, he wants to care for you, that he wants to guide you. So what we see is that prayer is established based on this relationship that we enjoy God in prayer, but also what we see in this line in verse 2 is we exalt God as our Father in prayer. Uh, We honor God as our Father in prayer. Now, this doesn't really ring a bell in our Western culture because when we look at our households, children are the center of our lives. Like all the activities, the mood, like if a kid is sick, all the all the family activities are stopped. It seems like everything revolves around children. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty for this too. Like, I always ask my children, what do you want to eat for dinner? And, and part of me is because I'm lazy to pick what I want But I, I know that I can eat whatever like, is cooked. I know they're picky about their stuff. So I, I want to go through the trouble. I'm like, okay, let's just center this meal around you. Pick what you want to eat. Uh, and so in the Western culture, it's like everything revolves around the child. That is not true in the Eastern culture. Like children, I kind of shared this before, like children, they eat in a different table. They don't share the same space. It's like there is this sense of reverence and honor that you keep when it comes to your father. So when, when the audience are hearing this word, when the disciples of Jesus, they're hearing this word father, they're not immediately thinking, oh, my buddy. Like that, that's my God. That's, they're not thinking that. They're thinking my father that I want to honor. Like my father that, that I, I, I long to, 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 to praise. And so there's a sense of honor, and you see this in verse 2 when it says, Hallowed be your name. God, your name be sanctified. Your God, God, your name be set apart, made holy. Now, this might sound strange because this is not a description of who God is that Jesus is not saying basically in the beginning, say, God, you're the Father, and also that you're holy. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, make a request. Ask the Father that he would make his name holy. It's a request to exalt his name above all things, which is strange because 
isn't God already holy? Why does he need us to pray for his name? Why does he need to pray for his reputation, that his reputation, his name would be made holy when he is perfectly pure and perfectly wise, that, that he's uniquely different in a class of his own? God says in Leviticus 19, be holy for I am holy. Holy is who God is. God is absolutely holy. So why does he tell his disciples, hey, pray like this. Pray that God's name would be made holy. It's because although by nature God is holy, his name a lot of times is not considered holy. That it's not considered sanctified. His reputation is tainted. That, that it is distorted and that he doesn't receive the glory that he deserves. And we see this in Ezekiel 36, 23. God's speaking to his people, his people who, who are living in sin. It says this, Ezekiel 36, 23. And I, God speaking, I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. In other words, my name it has been profaned. It's been made dirty. Like People are taking advantage of my name. They don't think much of my name. So the nations don't, don't care about God's name, his reputation, who he is. But notice it says then, and which you, my people, have profaned among them. The reason why the nations think little of God is because God's people think little of God. The reason why God's name is profaned among all these nations and among all these people is because God's name is profaned among God's people. You know, the reason why we live in a world that, that, that doesn't embrace the things of God, that has a negative view of God, could it be that it's because God's people don't reflect the nature of the holy God? And what we see is that God has a plan. He says, and the nations but will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So God has a passion to restore the reputation of his name. Like he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Like he is the one and only, not one of many. And yet many people are just treating him as another God, treating him as an addition to their lives. And so among God's people, he's going to restore his reputation so that the reputation of God can be restored among the nations. God is going to restore this idea of the hallowing of his name. This is a statement of worship. When we say, God, hallowed be your name, your name be exalted, your name be sanctified. We want people to appreciate you and honor you the way that you deserve because you are the king, king of kings, the Lord of lords. You deserve it all because you are the only one in this world that is worthy of all praise. Now, you might think, how selfish of this is, is for God that he would tell his children to, to honor him, to exalt him. Is he so insecure that he's trying to get a confidence boost through his people? No, 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 no. That's not what he's trying to do. Like, God doesn't need you to, to hallow his name so that he can feel better about himself. He already knows he's pretty good. He already knows that he's worthy. The reason why... God commands us to exalt his name is because there's only one person in this universe who deserves that type of worship and exaltation. It is the God Almighty who also happens to be our Holy Father who loves us to the very end. And because God alone is worthy of all worship, we hallow his name. If you don't hallow God's name, whose name are you going to hallow? Whose name are you going to exalt it? Like all these celebrities? Like all these billionaires, 
like people in power, like, like you feel like that is deserving. Like we see time and time again, the only one who really deserves our worship is God. And it's because God created us to, to be wired this way, that we would understand that we exist to exalt God, not just to enjoy God as our father, but we exist to exalt God. And, and declare his glory. The reason why we hallow his name is because our father is holy and he is worthy of all praise. Amen? And, the, and this, so we see that the Lord's Prayer is God exalting. The very first thing that Jesus does after calling God his father is he says, hallow be your name, praise be to your name. And the second thing that we see is this. The Lord's Prayer is God-centered. The Lord's Prayer is God-centered. Look at verse 2. It says this. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. In Matthew, in his account of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, he adds another line. He says, your will be done. So the idea behind your kingdom come, your will be done, is before the hallowing was about worship, this is about lordship. This reminds us that God, yes, he is our heavenly father, but he also happens to be our Lord, that he is our king that we are not on the same level that we exist for his glory, that he, he demands to be at the center and he deserves to be at the center of our lives and the center of our universe. Now, the, the saying, your kingdom come, there's two layers to this. We pray this prayer because we know that one day Jesus will return. Man, and I long for that day because when you see this world, when you see all the problems, the troubles, the messiness of life, when you see sickness and poverty, injustice, just running wild in this world, natural disasters, it makes you long for the coming of the day where Jesus will come and restore. When he returns, he's not coming as a humble king on a donkey. He's coming as the glorious, victorious king riding on a white horse, and he's going to restore his people. He's going to restore this land, that death will be no more, tears will be no more, no more pain or sorrow or sickness. I long for that day. And because we live in the messiness of this world, we pray, God, sooner than later, let your kingdom come. So there is this future reality where we long for that day to see the fullness of God's kingdom come, that we would enjoy his presence and his rule and reign. But there's also a present reality, because although the fullness of God's kingdom is going to come in the future, we get a foretaste of God's kingdom through the presence of Jesus Christ. Like, although one day sickness will be gone, like when we pray in the name of Jesus and healing takes place, that's, that's a display of God's kingdom. When broken-hearted people are living in misery, and in the name of Jesus, their hearts are restored, that they have now hope, that's a manifestation of God's kingdom. And so although we get a foretaste of God's kingdom, we long to see God's kingdom not just in the future, but in our present life. Mark 1.15, Jesus says this, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's not at distance. It's at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the rule and reign of God is not just futuristic. It's something that's available to us right now. And, and Tim Keller, he says this in his book called Prayer. He says, when we pray, Father, your kingdom come, we are asking God to extend his royal power over every part of our lives, over our emotions, over our desires, over our thoughts, over our commitments, every aspect of our life. That's what we're asking, that God will have dominion and power, rule and reign, that we won't be slaves 
to, to our emotions and desires and thoughts, but God will have his way. That's what we're longing for. And you might ask the question, why would we want the rule and reign of God? Why would we want the will of God? Why can't we just say that, no, what we have is better? Well, because in Romans 12, 2, it says God's will, it is perfect, it is pleasing, and it is good. We long for God's will because his will is, is worthy of, of, of longing for. It's good and it's pleasing. And so God, he is our ultimate father, and we fully love and trust him. But God, he is also our ultimate king, that we fully surrender and obey him. You can't have one and not have the other. You can't just enjoy the love of the Father and not understand the, the, the life that he called you to live, to honor him and to exalt him. And, and so, much, so, much, so often people live in fear, just wanting to exalt God, not understanding that they actually have the love of the Father available for it to them. I think what makes God such a good, good father, that he is perfectly loving, at the same time, he leads us and guides us with his perfect wisdom and his ways. And so the Lord's Prayer is all about God exalting, but it's also God-centered. And the third thing that we see is this. It's God-dependent. It's God-dependent. Now, a lot of times when we read the Lord's Prayer, you might have noticed this. The first couple lines, it's all about you know, your kingdom, your name, your will. It's, it seems to be about God, right? Your, your, your. That's addressing God. But the, the, the second half, it's all about us. Give us our daily bread. Uh, forgive us for our sins. Lead us not into temptation. So there seems to be an emphasis on what we need, us. So the first half is God-centered. The second half is us-centered. And so what a lot of people would do is this. Okay, in prayer, I got I, I to give props to God. Like I got to make sure that I kind of kind of. I kind of give thanks to God, like I, I keep him happy, like you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure that he's in a good mood, to say all these nice things about him. And once I've done that, once I, I, I fully accomplished my mission, like you know, boosting God's confidence and, 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 and how, making him feel good about himself as, as a father, that's when I slip it in, my request. Like, like he can't resist this, like, like, I tell him how great he is, and I say, give me ice cream. Like, you know, like, give me what I need in my life. God, you're such a loving father. Of course you're going to give that to me. Of course, you, you have all the power in the world, God. Of course you're going to give me that promotion. Like, all my needs. And so it's almost like, like something that you have to do. You have to kind of, it's like something you have to warm up to. But I don't think that's what's, 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 what's going on in the Lord's Prayer. The second half of the Lord's Prayer is all about our needs. And the reason why it's all about our needs is because we are needy people, that we are dependent on God, that apart from him, that we can't survive. And the first need that we see is the physical need, that we are dependent on God's grace when it comes to our physical needs. It says in verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. Not just the big things in life, but even the everyday needs that we have, the regular needs that we have, give us our daily bread. Now, for some of us, this, this doesn't really hit us as strong because, you know, for us, it's a matter of what, which type of bread are we going to eat this morning. I'm sick of, of bread loaves. I want to go English muffin today. I want to go uh, bagels today. I want to go donuts. It's a matter of what, which, which type of bread do we select, not a matter of give us our daily bread. Now, First of all, you have to remember that although we don't really regularly pray this prayer because we don't feel the need, there's about 840,000 people 
uh, uh, 40, 40 million people in this world, 840 million people in this world who are dealing with starvation, who are dealing with poverty, who are, every single day they're waking up praying this prayer, God, give me my daily bread. Give me my, my needs because I don't have the resources to provide for myself, provide for my family. And so we just live in a, an abundance of blessing. Uh, and, and, but still, I think this verse is relevant to us because even if we live in this abundant blessing, by praying this prayer, we are reminded that although we have all these things, God is the ultimate provider. That he's the one who brings all these good gifts to our lives. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it says this. Uh, Paul says to the Corinthian church, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, who, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, what do you have in your possession that you don't receive? You're boasting as if this is yours, but everything that you have, you have is something that you have received. In James 1.17, it says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So God, who is our Heavenly Father, He is the one who gives us every good and perfect gift. He's the one who meets our needs. He gives us the daily manna that we need in order to survive. And I love what it says in 1 Chronicles 29, 14. This is the words of King David. Again, remember that this is a king. Like he, he is wealthy. He has all the power, all, 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 everything that he can ever desire. Like he is living in prosperity, but this is what he says to his people as a king. But who am I and what is my people? that we should be able thus to offer willingly. For all things come from you, God, and of your own have we given you. Like, what is David saying here? He's saying this, that we give willingly, joyfully, voluntarily. Why? Because I know I'm the king of this kingdom, but all that we have, all that this people, these people have, like, and I have, it comes from you, God. Like we're basically giving back your own stuff. Like you have given it to us. You have allowed us to enjoy it for a season. And so it was never ours to begin with. So we graciously give back. This is a principle of, of gospel stewarding. Like we understand that every good and perfect gift, every resource that we have in our life, it comes from the Lord. And therefore we can graciously, generously use our resources for his glory. So prayer is God's given guard in our lives where we, it keeps us from thinking. That, that what we have is basically something that we have accomplished based on our hard work. Yes, it's true. You put in the time, the money, the education, the hard work, you earn that paycheck, absolutely. But who gave you the breath to live today? Who gave you the strength, the health to operate in such a way? Who's the one who gave you the opportunity to, to thrive in your job? Can you confidently say that it is by God's grace or can you confidently say that, that it's simply by your own works? Like a lot of times we're so used to the abundance of grace that God provides that we forget that every single day we live by grace. Um, I shared this before. One time I got into a very bad car accident in an intersection, head-on collision with a car that was coming. Um, um, and it was during Passion Week uh, after a morning prayer service. Like I drove to a church that was 40, 40 miles away, coming back, uh, and like I'm, I'm thinking, God, why? Like out of all the weeks, out of all the moments, like I just prayed, I drove 40 miles just to be in this service, coming back, got into a car crash, total lost. And I was so angry towards God because I felt like he didn't do his part. 
that he didn't keep his bargain, that I did enough to earn his favor and grace, and yet he didn't give that to me. And the more and more I thought about it, like my question was not why did God this happen to me? My question was why doesn't this happen to me every day? Because you see some crazy drivers on the road. Like why don't you have a crazy driver run into your car today? Why don't you have something happen to your house that your roof collapsed today? If you think about it, with all the craziness and the brokenness that exists in this world, it is a miracle that we are able to live day by day by God's grace. And so the Lord's Prayer reminds us that in the midst of a self-sufficient culture, that's what our culture promotes, that you can do it. Just make sure that you put in the effort, that you can make sure that you are set for retirement for your life. You can satisfy all your desires. In the midst of a self-sufficient culture, we are called to be God-dependent people. It reminds us that every single gift that we have in our lives is by God's grace. And I think uh, another level to this is that God, he is reminding us that, that, that he's the one who provides our every need so that we can make sure that we exalt him in all of his glory. Now, I get this because St. Augustine, uh, one of the church fathers, he says that he believes that Jesus here, when he says, give us our daily bread, he's really alluding to Proverbs 30, where it's the words of Agar. It says, Two things I ask of you, this, this man, he asked of God, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. So two things he's asking from God. Number one, help me be truthful. That's what he's saying. I don't want to live in falsehood. But the second thing he asks is this, give me neither poverty nor riches. Interesting. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. In other words, just give me only my daily bread. And that's what it says in the NIV. I don't want more than I need. I don't want less than I need. Just give me the right amount that I need for the day. It says in verse 9, Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? And lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. So when you are living in abundance, you have this tendency to deny God and think that all that you have is your accomplishments. And when you're living in poverty, you have a tendency to dishonor God and profane the name of God because you feel like God is not doing, providing for you. And what this man prays in the book of Proverbs and what Jesus is teaching us to pray is this. The reason why you should pray for your daily bread is so that you won't go into extreme poverty, but you won't just get carried away in extreme wealth, but your heart will always be set on God, that you would not lose sight and dishonor the name of God. That's why you pray, whether in poverty or in prosperity, you pray God, give us our daily bread because every single thing that I have is from you. It guards our heart. So we have these physical needs that we can't meet. The second thing that we have is actually we have emotional and relational needs. Um, first, relational needs um, when it comes to us and the Father. Uh, it says in verse 4, and forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. Now this reminds you that that you need forgiveness on a daily basis, that you're not that great and good, that, that even though you're saved by grace and you are adopted as a son and daughter of God, on a daily basis, your nature is sinful, that, that you are weak, that you are prone to wander. And so God says, daily pray this prayer, forgive us our sins. Now, why should we pray this prayer? It's not because we are insecure in our relationship with God. 
Uh, it's not because, like, we feel like if we don't pray this prayer, God is just going to abandon us, cut our ties. Some people say this, like, it's like this idea of confession. If I don't confess all my sins today, somehow, like, I'm going to lose God's blessing. I'm going to be denied as, as his son and daughter. No, 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 that's not what we're saying. God says that through Jesus Christ, he saves us once and for all, and he adopts us once and for all. That once you are a child of God, you are forever a child of God. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then why in the world would you pray for forgiveness if you have already been forgiven and been justified in the eyes of God? It's because positionally you were forgiven the moment that you, you, you repented and you, you gave your life to Jesus. But relationally, you need forgiveness on a daily basis. Let me give you an example. Uh, when it comes to my children, if they do something wrong, uh, I'm not going to just throw them out of the house, just tell them, because you dishonor my name, I'm going to cut ties with you. I am no longer your dad. That's the last thing I, I'd want to say. Did I say that before? I think I did. Uh, <laughs> but that's like the worst thing that you can say. Like, like that's not what I, like I might have said that, but I didn't really mean it. Like, because what I know is that regardless of how, fall, how, how they have fallen, I'm going to love them because they're, they're my child. But... I do want to reconcile with it. I do want to deal with their sin. Why? Because it's not necessarily their position that's in question. It's the intimacy that's in question. Because they are in guilt and shame, because they feel like, man, I did something wrong. And you know how children, when they do something wrong, they avoid their parents or they try to go somewhere else. Like, there's something that happens relationally. And that's what God is saying here. When you're asking for forgiveness on a daily basis, it's because it's not because God needs to hear this from you, because you need to let this go. And come boldly in God's presence. You just confess your sins and allow him to forgive you. And this is exactly what it said in 1 John 1, 9. This is speaking to the believer. If we confess our sins, Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. Why do you do that? It's because relationally we want intimacy with the Father. So we pray for God's grace because on a daily basis, we are not perfect in our walk with God. But the other thing that we see relationally is it's not just um, vertically with God, but it's horizontally with others. That we need God's grace, not just when it, when it comes to our relationship with God, but we need God's grace when it comes to our relationship with others. We need God's help. We need God's blessing. We see this in verse 4. It says, For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So basically, we're praying that God forgive us so that we can forgive others. Now, why would you pray this? It's because others are hard to forgive. It's because Forgiving someone that wronged you, forgiving someone that hurt you is super hard to do. And so, and so Jesus is teaching us when you are praying for forgiveness, not only do you ask for forgiveness, but you pray for God's grace so that you can extend that forgiveness. You pray to God so that by God's grace that your relationship, your broken relationship with others can be renewed and restored. We can't succeed in our relationships when it comes to our when it comes to God, uh, apart from God's grace, we can't succeed and thrive in our relationship with others apart from God's grace. We are in need of God's grace relationally. But the last thing that we see is we are in need of God's grace when it comes to guidance and protection. Guidance and protection. We have spiritual needs. So we have physical needs. We have relational needs. We have spiritual needs. It says at the end of uh, verse 4, it says, And lead us not into temptation, the reason why we have to pray this prayer is because we easily fall into temptation and we easily wander. We easily 
fall off of, of, of the, the route that God has set before us. In, in our own ability, in our own mind, we think that we can walk straight, but it's like we're driving, but when our eyes are distracted, when your eyes are not set on the road and you're looking at other things, you know how a car tends to drift onto the left or to the right and you end up hitting something? That's exactly what happens in our life. We kind of drift away. We don't drift towards God. We drift away from God. And so when it comes to walking straight, walking in God's way, living a righteous life, even in that, we need God's help because we are not holy to begin with. We are sinful and weak, but also God reminds us, especially in Matthew's account of, of the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil, or it can be translated from the evil one. We understand that we have an adversary, an enemy out there, that we're not just living in a neutral field, but we have an, an enemy who wants us to live a life apart from God, that he doesn't want us to live as believers, as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. He wants us to live not God-dependent lives, but, but independent lives, where we are depending on our own ability and our sufficiency. And so knowing that there's a spiritual battle going on, we pray on a daily basis, God, help me. Lead me from temptation. And as Psalm 23 would say, Lead me to paths of righteousness for your name's sake. So everything in the Lord's Prayer is, is about God. First, it begins with God being exalted, God being at the center of everything, and it ends with God being the source of all things. He, he, we are dependent on him. Now, why is this so important? Why is it so important for us to see this thing? This is exactly why prayer is hard. The reason why we are so prayerless in our lives is by nature, we don't exalt God. We tend to exalt either ourselves or other things in our lives. Uh, we are self-exalting people or we are idolaters, meaning we tend to exalt other things in our lives and put value and worth in those, in those things. And we treat them as, as gods when the only one who's worthy of our trust and our devotion is, is the Father. We, by nature, we are not God-centered people. Because of our sin, we are self-centered people. And, 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 and we don't want God's way or God's will naturally uh, in our sinfulness, but we demand our way and our will when we pray. Like, that's just our tendency. Like, don't you get mad when you don't get your way? Don't you get mad when your will is not accomplished? And so by nature, we are sinful people who we are all about us in the center. And the last thing that we see is we are not by nature God-dependent people but we are self-dependent, self-sufficient people that we think somehow down the lines that everything that we have in this life is something that we have earned because we are great, because we have put in the work. Somewhere down the line, we think that we're not as bad of people. Like we don't need God's forgiveness to that extent. Maybe we might have some hiccups here and there, some, some, a little bit of messiness that we need to clean up quickly, but do we truly repent and do we truly feel bad about what we do before God? A lot of times that's not really the case. Why? Because we are self-sufficient people that have a very high self-esteem. And we think so highly of ourselves that we don't ask for forgiveness. And because we think so highly of ourselves, not only do we not ask for forgiveness, we don't extend forgiveness. Why? Because we don't feel like other people deserve it. Other people don't deserve forgiveness because, you know, we have been wronged. Everything that I've done is right. It's that person who, 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 who should be punished for what they have done. The reason why that we think that way is because of pride. 
because we are so, so full of ourselves and, and we are so, we have such a high view of ourselves. So in every step of the way, what you see is the Lord's Prayer. If I can summarize it in one sentence, it's a prayer that you pray to save yourself from yourself. Like every single day, you want to make yourself the center of all things. When you start off your day with prayer and end the day with prayer, what you're declaring is this, God, I need you. Like I need you in every aspect of my life to exalt you, to live in the way that you created me and, and, and you designed me to live, to exalt you, to enjoy you in the fullness of your goodness and your grace. I can't just do that by myself. God, I need you. I need you to be a true disciple who is God-exalting, God-centered, and God-honoring, and God-dependent. And if you think about the life of Jesus, that's exactly how he lived. He lived a life that was God-exalting. He said, I live to exalt my Father, to bring glory to my Father. What he said is, I live and place the Father at the center. I don't do anything according to my will. And that's why he later prays, God, Father, your will be done, although I hate to do this. Like, I don't want to do this, God, but your will be done. The last thing that we see is he was daily dependent on the grace of the Father. Like, he gives thanks before the feeding of the 5,000. It's not like, whew, throwing out breadcrumbs to everyone. No, he's like, God, I'm thankful that you provide for us. Like, a life that lives out the Lord's Prayer is actually a life that looks like Christ. And if our ultimate desire in life is to look like Christ, then we need to pray like Christ because we don't have it in us to be like Christ, but the Lord's Prayer helps us to remember that God's grace is sufficient to make us like Christ. So let's live a life that exalts God's plan and exalts his glory that through our lives that we'll be God-exalting, God-centered, God-dependent people. Amen? Let's pray.